Johnny Cash once described country music as being made of emotions, of love, of breakup, of love and hate, and death and dying, mama, apple pie, and the whole thing. I'm Tennessean country music writer Cindy Watts. Welcome to Country Mile, the USA Today Network's new podcast series exploring the evolution of one of America's truest art forms through the stories of some of the genre's biggest names. Plus, you can have a glass of wine, and that always makes it easier. Absolutely. <laughs> we should have had wine. Do you want to know my thing, my new drink right after the show that I love? So I, I've discovered Tito's vodka. And so my new thing is that much Tito's. It can't be any more than that because it just, it will make me like. You're showing know. about an inch, right? You're half an inch. Half an inch, okay. Half an inch of, yeah. Good point. No one can see me. Thanks, yeah. Martina. <laughs> it's really a tumbler. That's what she's talking about. I mean, she r- says, that Honestly, that is hilarious. No one would have any idea how much I said. <laughs> half an inch of vodka. But then I add white monster to it. And this is like right after the show, you know, so I'm all pumped and I'm getting ready to do the meet and greet. And then I squirt that Mio, like, you know, uh-huh. flavor, flavor flavoring What's in it. white monster? Yeah, you know, really monster's know. like an energy drink, but oh, okay. the white one is my favorite flavor. So it's super fizzy. And that's what I take to the meet and greet with me. Just a weird aside, because I'm super curious. A lot of artists are really excited about Tito's vodka, like not vodka, uh, tequila. What, what? Why is it special? Oh, okay. Tito's is vodka. Oh, okay. Tito's is vodka, vodka. and I don't know. It's I don't drink tequila. Tequila makes my clothes fall off. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Country Mile, a podcast series brought to you by the Tennessean, part of the USA Today Network and Belmont University. Today is an inside look at momming from a tour bus with Sarah Evans and Martina McBride. Martina's first hit came in 1993 with My Baby Loves Me, and Sarah followed a few years later with No Place That Far. Both women raised three children on the road where they learned to balance work, school, and family dynamics as they sped between shows. We're going to talk about kind of your your journey to Nashville. Martina, why don't you tell us, when did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Where did this start for you? Well, I've always loved to sing. I, I can The first time I can remember performing, um, I was four years old, and I sang in church uh, at a Christmas program, away in a manger. But... I took a, a bit of a journey. Like, my, my dad had a band when I was growing up. Sarah grew up with a musical family as well. And so we, I started singing in the band with my dad when I was about seven years old. And we just played local, like, wedding dances and things like that. After I graduated from high school, I went on to sing. I, I love to sing all kinds of music. So I went on to sing, you know, in a rock band, doing Journey and Pat Benatar and Heart and... Then I sang in a band that did, like, Bonnie Raitt, Aretha Franklin. Then I sang in a pop band that did, like, Madonna, <laughs> Jody Watley, and, and Whitney Houston, and whatever was top 40 at the time. And that was about maybe two years of time um, that I was really away from singing country music. And I went back and sang at a Battle of the Bands with my dad's band. And he never did that. Like, my whole life, he'd never been in a Battle of the Bands. And I don't know what possessed him, but he... Wanted to do it, and he asked if I would come sing. I said, sure. And I sang in that club. I don't remember what the song was, and I just knew it. It just it hit me like a ton of bricks. I, I thought to myself, this is the kind of music that I want to pr- have a career in. I want to go back and sing country music. Having grown up with it, it just felt like home. And I, I'll never forget, I told my husband that night, I said, 
I've made a decision. I want to move to Nashville and, and go for a career in country music. And he's like, all right, let's go. So it was really that, that was the pivotal moment. It was just that night singing in that club. And this was in Kansas. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. How old were you? I was 22, maybe. So what about you, Sarah? Just change the state to Missouri and same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, seriously, it's so similar. It's weird. Um, my, I have two older brothers and four younger sisters, and my brothers started taking guitar lessons when I was around four. And both my parents are very musical, but they never perform themselves. But So they would have me sing along. So like, um, you know, play this, and then Sarah, sing it. And so as soon as I started doing that, they realized that, you know, we all had musical talent. So they put a band together. My mom found some other musicians around town, and... We were called the Evans Family Band, and then naturally, and, and of course, we switched it to the Sarah Evans Show. And uh, <laughs> and so that was it. I mean, I spent my entire childhood singing in bars and doing the nine-to-one gigs, and it didn't even phase me or my family that I was eight years old mm-hmm. singing in a bar for drunk people while they were two-stepping. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you just learned all the country songs that were on the radio currently, and then uh, my granny and papa were huge music fans and, you know, just huge influence on my life. My papa collected um, all the Live from the Grand Ole Opry albums. And so that's how I learned about a lot of the older artists. So then I would start singing like Kitty Wells and Hank Snow and Ernest Tubb and, you know, and then like you, of course, I, I loved all kinds of music and I could sing all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. So I, I started adding like Belinda Carlisle and... Fleetwood Mac and yeah. things like that into our bar bands. And then as we went along, it, it mostly remained just that my brother, Matt, and I were the ones that were the most interested in it. Um, so I got a full rides music scholarship to Central Methodist College in this town called Fayette, Missouri. And it's a, uh, you know, expensive private school. I got a full ride scholarship. My family was so proud. Um, I went for 11 days and then I quit (laughs) because I was just like, this is not for me. And, you know, when you grow up singing country and being on a farm and being really a real country person, um, you have a twang in your voice. And so they were like, um, we want to try to get that nasal twangy sound out of you Mm -hmm. to sing. And I was just like, F that. I mean, that's just not for (laughs) me. So my brother... um, my brother was in L.A. going to Musicians Institute of Technology. It was a year program and to study jazz bass. And he was on at home on break and came to see me. And I was like, I hate it here. I hate it. I want to quit. And he said, well, just quit. And then when I graduate, we'll save money and we'll move to Nashville. And so he and I moved to Nashville. And then I got sidetracked for a few years because I got married. And I didn't choose John McBride <laughs> like you did. It's about three years later I came back, and then that's when I got my record deal. But our our stories are so similar. It's crazy. I went to one semester of junior college. Oh, my God, you're kidding me. And I I was, you know, I was waiting tables. I was singing in this rock band. And I just, I I also grew up 
you grew up in a small town too, right? Yeah, like 1,200 people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, mine was like 200 people. And so my high school was the opposite of college prep school. Yeah. Like I had no preparation. Same. So I got there and I was completely overwhelmed by the schedule, by the campus, by all of it. Me too. I mean, it, our li- it's just identical. And I was just like, I'm so much older than this. You know, I've already yes. lived yeah. such a life. And I had a really traumatic you know, life anyway, like I got hit by a car and almost died. And my parents went through a horrible divorce and I fell in a well and I almost drowned. Like I just kept, you know, I mean, yeah, I know I've had like five near death experiences and I am not hanging around you anymore. I know. (laughs) Seriously. Don't get in a private plane with me. I almost died in a private plane like six years ago. But anyway, so I just felt so much different than those girls that were, you know, mm-hmm. coming to Central Methodist and they had all their stuff. And plus we had nothing. And I didn't have the kind of mom that would like pack my stuff and prepare me mm-hmm. for that. She was just Thank like, you. yeah, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so that's just, it's, it's really strange. Yeah. Similar. We should do a documentary about us. I know. Like <laughs> side by side. Uh-huh. So Martina, how did you how did you make the move from Kansas to Nashville? Like, what was that path? Well, my husband, um, we, we, we'd been married about a year and a half, and he had a concert sound company in Wichita, Kansas, so he went out and did sound for local shows. And um, so he moved his whole company as well. And we, we just we didn't know anybody here, and we had no idea about how to go about anything. And we just we borrowed a little bit of money. Actually, I came down here, and I had a demo that I'd recorded in his warehouse space. A live thing, and took it around. I don't know how we got in to see. I think this guy at Maypop Music, Kevin Lamb. We we had one connection, him, and uh, he said, "This is good, but you need to make a better demo. This is kind of not good enough." And so we, he gave us two names of musicians, and I ended up. One of them answered the phone. John called and put together a session for that night. We were just in Nashville for a few days. We went out to the to Lonnie Wilson's garage and made made a another little demo with a professional band. Yeah, and so we moved, we just decided when we decided to move here, we borrowed um, a little bit of money to make a real demo, and went into a studio, the Music Mill, and had recorded five songs. So I don't know. We were just young enough and and naive enough to just go for it. Mm-hmm. I remember going around, walking up and down Music Row knocking on doors and saying, I'm from Kansas, but I'm moving here and I want to get a record deal. So I really need some great songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they let me in and they played me songs, you yeah. know, which I don't even, I can't imagine that happening now. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's just a, a it, just enough, you know, being naive and, and hungry and determined and all of that stuff. Tell me about moving here, Sarah. Um, I moved here with my brother, Matt and, um, we got an apartment over on Briley Parkway. Um, it was just this, you know, same thing. We had no money. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, I immediately got a job waiting tables at Holiday Inn on Briley Parkway. And we just started kind of, you know, working the system. I, I also had had a demo that I had recorded in Missouri. And and then, like I said, I, I met my ex-husband working at Holiday Inn. And so he was there with his brothers as well. Um, they were like a, an Eagles type band or, you know, CCR or something. And so I just kind of fell into like just spending time with them and partying and writing songs and, 
you know, having fun and I kind of lost my focus. And then I ended up, you know, going out to Oregon and living out there with him for about three years. We got married during that time. Then when we came back was when I met um, a lady named Brenner Van Meter and she was a lawyer and she was married to a song plugger at Sunny Tree. And she said, um, I think the first thing that we should do is try to get you work singing demos. That's, you know, a great way to get known around town. And so I did. And then I became super busy doing that to where I quit my job because I just had so many demos that I was being hired to do. And one day he came up with an idea that I should record Tiger by the Tail and make it like a Patty Loveless kind of song. And so we went in the studio and I remember singing it and I heard all the musicians, you know, through my headphones, like, damn girl, you know, that's, that's so country. You're so country. So then I came out of the singing booth and Harlan Howard, who wrote Tiger by the Tail, was sitting there. And he said, you remind me of Loretta Lynn when she first moved to town, which, of course, that just, like, absolutely stunned me and blew me away. He called Renee Bell that night from the studio. We were at County Q. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and said, I need you to meet this little gal that I just met. You know, he talked so funny like that. So... We made a lunch date. We got together, and she said, I want to bring you in to sing for Joe Galani. And so say who Renee Bell is because people Renee Bell was um, – she was head of A&R at RCA Records. You know, and, and that's what's so funny, too, as our stories are so similar because Martina was already a star at RCA Records. And, you know, I had already, like, I been idolizing you and looking up to you, so I was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to go sing for Joe Galante, the man who signed Martina – I'm going to be in that same building, that same scenario. And so I I went in and sang three songs for him, and then he offered me a record deal that day. So we really should have called this the path to Joe Galante. It really yeah. is. Really is yeah. So after you had your, after you had your um, demo, Martina, like where did you go from there? Well, I pitched it to every record company in town and got turned down by everybody. And then I made another demo. Um, of th- I think three songs and during that time I was singing demos too and a publisher told me hey I think RCA is looking for a to sign a female artist and there's three three or four girls that they're looking at but you should um, get a, your demo tape to them and so what, uh, the bass player on the demo session t- said here's what you need to do they're not just going to take any cassette tape which is a cassette tape at the yeah. time <laughs> off the street you have to, they don't take any unsolicited material. So get yourself an envelope and write on it requested material. So I went down to Kinko's and I got me a big purple envelope, which I, <laughs> they kept it and gave it to me for my 40th birthday or 30th birthday or something. But anyway, I put my cassette tape in there and wrote requested material and dropped it off for A&R. And about, I don't know, maybe a week later, um, got a phone call and actually, it was Josh Leo at the time was mm-hmm. was heading up the Nashville office and um, said that he wanted to speak to to me. Or and he said we heard your tape and we want you to do a showcase. So I said okay. So we put together a band and we did a showcase at that place used to be Ace of Clubs. Mm-hmm. It's not there anymore. And they came and um, he came back after the show and said, 
come in tomorrow. Um, we want to give you a record deal. And I was like, what? My parents came down from Kansas, you know. And I can remember when I went into his office, I had a little one of those micro cassette machines because John had to leave town on a tour and my parents, I couldn't drag them in there with me. But I wanted to like them to hear it. So I got to, I have to find that. I, I know it's around somewhere. But I kept saying, are you sure? Like, are you sure that this is really happening? Like, I've got a record deal. What do you mean I've got a record deal? And, and he picked up the thing. He said, you have a record deal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, stop asking me that. Anyway, it was exciting. That is crazy. I've never heard that part of your story. Yeah. So you secretly taped it yeah. or taped it for your parents mm-hmm. to hear? Mm-hmm. Wow. Or not really so secretly cool. if the tape recorder was on the table. Oh, yeah. I, right. I didn't secret. I was like, I got to record this because my husband's out of town and my parents are at home waiting to hear what happened. So That's so cool. You know, I, I bet that wouldn't go well now. I bet if somebody carried a tape recorder into the meeting like that at a label, they'd be like, oh. maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. That's so interesting. I also wonder how many people, because I remember hearing you tell that story before years ago, have since put their tape, <laughs> put their, their demo in a envelope and requested material right. on it. And yeah, I'm sure they don't fall for that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or they put it in an email subject. Yeah. Requested. So after you got your deals, how how long did it take before you heard yourself on the radio? Well, for me, um, I got signed in 1991, and my record came out in the spring of 92. So, so that's, it was, yeah, probably a, maybe a year or yeah. it's nine months, something like that. What about you? Um, about the same, probably. Mm-hmm. I, I went out to L.A. and recorded my first album in... That was probably in, I'm so bad about remembering years, 96 or something. And then, you know, I mean, they released it right away. I think Martine and I were talking recently about how lucky we were to, like, have gotten signed at the time that we did and the way the music industry was working. You know, like, they didn't, you know, make a record on us and then, like, put it on the shelf and say, we're going to release it next year or we're waiting for an opening. I mean, they really um, were very deliberate, I think, about the artists that they were signing. I mean, they wanted you to go in, make a record. Joe, for sure. Joe, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he was definitely all, you know, no nonsense. And I always felt really believed in and supported as an artist there at RCA with Joe. Mm -hmm. Because now, I think for people who don't know, artists could turn in an album because that's what you have to do, right? You have to make it and then you have to Uh turn it in. Mm They could wait six months. They could wait a year. They could wait two years, depending on what they have coming, mm-hmm. right? Because they have a certain number of artists, and then as people get albums done, they schedule them because they just don't throw them out. So the, the fact that you all were able to get an album out that quickly was... Yeah, I think that, I mean, and I think that was happening even then, but I think you're, to your point, it was Joe Galante. I mean, like, he was a, an incredible label head mm-hmm. you know he, he and he wasn't um mean you know what I mean like he really cared for us and cared about us and he wasn't just trying to just jerk us Play. around or, or keep us you know a lot of people just sign, will sign someone so nobody else will get them yeah and I, I didn't feel that he ever did anything like that when did you hear your single on the radio for the first time and how did that feel what was your first single? Cheap it's Whiskey? The Time Has Come. Oh, yeah, The Time Has Come. Yeah. Time has come, turn you loose. It took my heart, this long to face the truth. That very 
memorable. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a, a strong start out of the gate at radio, but um, it was called The Time Has Come, and I had heard somebody told me that they had a show that was broadcast from somewhere in Kentucky called Newest from Nashville. And they said, we heard your song on there. It comes on at 7 o'clock in the evening. So we, my husband and I got our boom box out <laughs> and sat at the kitchen table and listened. And sure enough, it came on. And that's how I first heard it. Did my, y'all freak out? Oh, yeah. 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 I still freak out if I hear myself on Me the radio. Me too. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? Um, I think I was actually in Boonville. I was at home in Boonville, Missouri. And I was in the car with my mom. We were just leaving dinner. Um at this truck stop and we got in the car and three chords and the truth was on. You know, and, and it was, I mean, we were so excited and it was so special, but it was my hometown. So, you know, they probably played me a lot more than the rest of the country. But yeah, it was, it was still amazing. And it still is. Like I always mm-hmm. tell people, I never take it for granted. I mean, especially these days. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I bought your album. You did? On vinyl. You had it out on vinyl. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it. I loved it. Thank I you. I still love it. It's so great. Oh, yours too. I could sing... I could probably sing every word to the time has come right now. After the careers that you've had, why is it still so special to hear to hear your songs on the radio? I mean, you've had to have heard it heard them thousands of times by now. I think because it's pretty hard won. You know, it's not it's not something that's easy. It never was easy mm-hmm. um, for me. And there's so many things that go into a record being successful on the radio that I never knew before I got in this business. I always thought the songs that were on the radio were the songs that people liked the best. But, you know, it's so so many minute details and timing and all kinds of things that go into it. So I just never took it for granted. Mm-hmm. I just was always like, we fought so hard for every single that... Um, that I, I don't know. And, and, and now when I hear a song on the radio of mine, it just brings back a lot of memories and, you know, of that time and how, and how hard as a team we all worked. Yeah, same. Yeah. You just don't, you don't take it for granted because you know how hard you worked to get there. And, you know, that's what made our careers. I mean, being, being played on the radio is what, you know, brought us to where we are today. So... It's always, I'm always grateful. Yeah. So as you're succeeding in country music, you're also raising families. Talk about how you were able to do both of those things. Like how did you, what, what did life look like on, on a normal day? You know, I have three kids and I, I grew up in a huge family with a mom that worked all the time, but not really outside the home. We were farmers, and so she was always on a tractor, or she was cooking, or she was doing laundry, or, you know, she drove a school bus. I mean, she was just constantly... Um, and so I understood, like, juggling a bunch of things, but I also never wanted to be away from the kids. And so when Avery was born, or I think when I was pregnant with him, it just dawned on me one day, like shit, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to do this? Like, what if I have to, because the demands, 
that are in the music career and the demands that you have from your label, like if Joe Galante, you know, we're talking about all of you know his support and all of that, but at the same time, if he wanted you to do something, you were going to do it no matter what. <laughs> you needed to go to a radio station somewhere and, you know, so then uh, Born to Fly was getting ready to come out. I knew that I was going to have to go on a radio tour all over the country and I had this baby. And so I called Martina and I asked for her advice and she said, if I were you, I would just ask the label to hire you a nanny to pay for a nanny and take the baby. And, you know, she said, I've always taken Delaney everywhere with me. And so that, that was the first time that it occurred to me. Yeah, I'll just take him. Well, I'd wish I'd ask for the label to pay for a nanny for me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I didn't do that. I, I swear I could be wrong, but I I swear that was it's you. Probably, that you just it just kind of rolled out. Like if I were you, I would just tell tell them to hire you a nanny if they're going to ask you to do the radio tour. Because mm-hmm. you know she was, you were already like, you know, ahead of me in those ways. You'd learned those lessons, mm-hmm. and you were like. Tell them to get you a nanny. Yeah, I've taken with you because I, I always took my kids with me on the road when, and. And um, I, we were talking the other day, Sarah and I, about how good that was for them to grow up on the road. You know, I feel like they, they were always around, you know, it also makes you a little more particular about the people you surround yourself with when you have your kids around, you Definitely. know. Definitely. And, and so um, they were around a bunch of great people and they got to see a bunch of exciting places. They're very good conversationalists now. They, they were always around adults so they can, you know, adapt to about anything and but I will say, though, that when Delaney started, my oldest started kindergarten, I really wanted her to have the experience of going to a school every day and having the same routine. So I I cut back on touring. I still toured a lot, but I just do it on, like, instead of going out for two or three weeks at a time, I would just go out on the weekends. And that's really when that whole thing started for me, when she started kindergarten. Me and, too. Yeah. Where were you at in your career then? Like, at what point did you have to make that call? Okay, so it was ni- she was born in 1994. So independent. I was pregnant on the set of the Independence Day video. And I remember when I performed it on the CMAs, I was about seven and a half months pregnant. So, so you know, it was just kind of getting started. I remember opening. I got an a opening spot on the Brooks and Dunn tour, and I was so excited. I needed it. I needed a big tour and um, found out I was pregnant like the next day. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I was so scared to tell my manager. And I said, I'll just keep touring until I can't tour anymore. And their last show was December 12th, and she was born on the 22nd of December. (laughs) So, you know, I guess you just kind of do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I never really gave it a lot of thought, to be honest. I was just like, I'm doing this. I'm I'm just going to do it. And and it just worked out. So from that point on, is that how you structured it as you played shows on the weekends and mm-hmm. went home during the week yeah pretty much from then on that's what we did and I and I, I you know the only time I really ran up against some resistance was you know like for instance touring overseas you have to have or Canada you have to go for longer periods of time you can't run back and forth on the weekends so that was when you know when you start messing with somebody else's money <laughs> Like that's when my manager was like, "Why do you have to take these kids with you everywhere? Why do you? Why can't you go and leave them? Why do you just leave them at home and we can go and tour?" And I was like, "I can't do that. I'm the mommy. Like I'm. Right. I can't do that. Right." And um, that was when, that was the only time I ever really felt um, 
resistance to the whole idea. As long as I could take them with me and everybody could, life could go on as normal and we could book tours, everybody was happy. But when it started interfering with the bottom line, it was not received with as much enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what I did is just take them and I, um, and I would pull them out of school a lot. You know, I talked to their school and I said, is this okay as long as we make up the work? But then, you know, they get to an age where they just really can't do that anymore. And especially if they start playing sports and, um, you know, and, but so the only time that it would affect me is like having to do a radio tour where you can't take them with you. And it's extremely hard to Mm -hmm. leave them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was for me, I was kind of a freak about it, but I just didn't want to, I mean, a day or two is fine, but not for four days. Right. You know, that's just not, to me, that's just not good. And um, like when Avery was playing football and it was a senior year, uh, I just said, I'm not, uh, you know, we have to block every Friday night this year from August till the football season's over. And that didn't go over well <laughs> at all. And in, in, it didn't matter how many times my business manager called me about it, the answer was the same. I'm not going to miss a football game. It's just one time that he will be a senior and I'm not going to miss one. I'm just not. Yeah. And well, just, you know, I just feel like it's my responsibility to let you know how, what you're going to be missing. And I'm like, I, I completely get that, mm-hmm. but you know, you're missing a lot more, um, that would be so much worse. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just some things just aren't, aren't worth it. No matter, no matter how much you're missing money wise. You can't just, it's not as easy though as putting a baby on a bus. Is it like you have to make special accommodations? I know people talk about that all the time. It's like, Oh, we converted this bunk into a crib or mm-hmm. we have to have these extra people or the bottom of the bus is filled with like swings mm-hmm. and stuff. Right. Like I hear that constantly. I think people would be really interested to know what it's like to put a baby on a bus. Well, we had a crib when Delaney was little and Emma, and Emma too, and a, a little, um, you know, little chairs that hooked to the end of the table mm-hmm. that they'd sit in to eat. And, you know, I remember when Emma was a baby and giving her, a, you know, having one of those plastic baby tubs and putting it in the shower and giving her a bath or bathing them in the, in the sink. Mm-hmm. I always had to have a bus with a huge sink. Yeah. I mean, that was my main requirement, you know, for the longest time so I could bathe them in the sink, in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, same thing. And then one year we made these cool, like, where it had, like, you know, the bunks became cribs and they were, like, protected with these whatever they put up, some kind of wall. Um, but, you know, you just did it and it was so freaking fun. I mean, it's it's just so fun to be out there, especially – in the summertime and you're just doing these fairs and festivals and um, you're like living a life of a gypsy or something. You're just traveling and you've got this whole team out there with you and they're helping you with their, with your kids. And like Martina said, they're, you know, they're getting this amazing childhood where most kids their age, you know, the furthest they've ever been and the most experience they've ever had is going to Disney world or whatever. And where our kids, have seen it all and they've been everywhere and they've stood side stage and, and they have all um, these big brothers, you know, mm-hmm, basically yeah. the crew and the band become their, their big brothers. And I've always liked that aspect of it too. I think it's, they feel so supported. 
And they don't yeah. know any different. They don't know any different at all. Yeah. So. And you just do whatever you got to do. I mean, you know, and I was never one of those moms, you probably weren't either, that like, I have a schedule and, not, you know, the baby can't get off the schedule and they have to. I'm just like, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just get on board and yeah, follow me. Get on board. And, and I would always talk. Delaney was a great sleeper. So mm-hmm. like. I would just say, get in here with me in, in my bed or bunk or whatever I was in at the time. And just she'd, I'd just say, we're, we're, we're going to go back to sleep this morning. Like, you know, whatever. And yeah. Yeah. Or I would just let them stay up. Yeah. All oh, my night, gosh. They know? stayed up so late. Yeah. yeah. Hanging out with the band. But, and that's what most people don't realize is that you're traveling at night. So it's not like you're, you're on a moving bus all day, like trying to raise kids. Like you're parked during the day and you're just watching. Mm-hmm. SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. Where was your, like, when you think back, you talk about all the fun things your kids got to see. What's your favorite memory? Like, where's the coolest place you got to go with your kids? We got to go to Switzerland, which was really amazing. Um, they were a little older at that time. I don't know, you know, anytime we got to travel overseas, I thought it was really an, a really enriching experience for them. Um, what about yeah, I'm you? trying to get a, an overseas tour booked right now and I can't seem to get it. Nobody wants me over there. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. But I want to go overseas and take the kids. Um, but yeah, we went to Switzerland, but Avery was a baby, so we were in Italy on 9-11. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And Avery was a baby. That was terrifying. Mm-hmm. But at least he was with me. I thought about leaving him with my mom mm-hmm. to go over there because I was like, I don't know about the flight and all that. Um, but I decided at the last minute to bring him. Can you imagine if he you, had been in America? And you'd have been all the way over And there. I was in Italy. But we've yeah. been to Australia, too. I took mm-hmm. the girls. Yep. So now everybody's children are older. Mm-hmm. How does it work today? Like, how do you, how do you be mom to teenagers? <laughs> well... Avery is 20, and he's actually in my band now. He plays guitar for me. So he's just another one of the musicians. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the band bus. Um, you know, Olivia's 16, and she's a singer. And Audrey is 14, and she's a dancer. And But both my girls are doing online school now. So, you know, our life is very different than it's ever been because we're not doing school at all. We're not... You know, we all sleep till like 10. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. How does that working with your kids, do, do they enjoy being on the road with you as teenagers? They do. They love it. They ap- absolutely love it. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I, I just think, like you said, it's they, they don't know any difference. So they, I think they feel really at home on the bus. Mm-hmm. You know, like Chris, my driver, he's been with me for 15 years and... He's like their uncle. Yeah. You know? See, because my kids got to an age where they don't, they're not interested in going on the road anymore. They just don't, I don't know. They had their own friends and their own, and I sort of had to respect that, you know, because it's, it was their time to, to whatever. Mm-hmm. But because um, now Ava's 14. I will say this. Of all of the three girls, she's probably the one that I have left the most. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's like your third kid and you're Audrey like. Audrey too. She's fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, um, yeah, so I, I think it changes a little bit. Plus, there's a seven-and-a-half-year gap between her and Emma, too, so, but... Yeah, and, and it, yeah, there. I mean, there are times where they do have things, like, that they'd rather stay home for, mm-hmm. like the football game or a dance or mm-hmm. a party or whatever, and so, 
and, and that's fine. You know, I would I love we, it if they'd come with me, but yeah, I think what you, we do too is we, we really find our village. You know, it take it does take a village, and especially when we do what Sarah and I do for a living. So, I always found people that I trusted to, and that my girls ended up loving as family, you know, members to, to not my family members, <laughs> not my real family members, but like, you know, we just sort of created this little village of people that I could trust. If I like Ava does not want to go on the road. She's 14. She, she will go if I make her go, but she's just not, she didn't, she didn't really grow up that way. Cause mm-hmm. I was, I was, had not touring as much when she was born. And so I have a group of people that I can call that will stay, come over and stay at the house with her and take care of her. So it, you really do have to kind of find your village to help out, I think. Yeah, or you don't feel good about leaving. Yeah. You know, and I still have an anxiety, like, you know, you usually catch your bus around midnight or 11, and I still have this inner anxiety every single time I'm going to go get on the bus if they're not coming with me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Livy and Audrey can stay home alone now because mm-hmm. um, they're old enough, but... I still just have this anxiety about leaving them. I never want to do it. Yeah, but, I don't like it either. Yeah. And now that I'm remembering it for real, because um, we here's what we do. We always say, "Oh, it was easy." <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, if you say, "How did you? How, how do you travel? How do you have a career with kids?" I'm like, it, "It's easy. You just take them on the road with you." But I do remember instances where, very rarely, but where Emma say Emma would be. She had sort of separation anxiety for a long time, and she would be in maybe second grade, and I would have to go run up to New York to do a TV show or something. And, oh, my gosh, I'd just get out of the driveway, and she would call me, Mommy, come back, mm-hmm. come back. And I was you. like, oh, I can't come back. I'm, Yeah, that's hard. It is. It kills yeah. you. Yeah, when you're launching an album mm-hmm. or you're, you know, there are just certain times where they just can't go. Like, yeah, the New yeah. York stuff because – they're too little, you know, and it's just you're you're too busy, um, and it would. Just, I think it's just when they got, when they get in school that just wrecks everything. It really does. I yeah. hate school. I freaking Ugh. hate school. I really do. <laughs> we should just have them be some uneducated children that travel around with us everywhere. I mean, just you know, as long as they can read and do a yeah a, a good amount of math, like adding and subtracting. Right, because that's pretty much it. That, that's, that's all, I, all need. I do. That's right. That is all I do. <laughs> And, and I, you know, love to read, like we're probably both, you know, super strong in English and writing Mm -hmm. and reading and all that. I mean, they, what else do they need? They're, they're in the music industry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Somebody pointed out to me. Y'all are laughing. I'm dead serious. (laughs) I think so much school and college is a waste of time. It's just, it should be streamlined so much more, you know. I, I, I think they should teach other things than what they teach in school they should teach oh uh, yeah how, how to, to have do, a checkbook yeah how to how to ba- how to balance a budget you know how to change a tire absolutely kind of they Life don't skills. I mean what they teach so much crap that's just a waste mm-hmm. a waste like teach them how to write a check and how to you know we used of course, to have now we don't, we're, we're so we're so dating ourselves how to write a check like anybody mm-hmm. really writes a check anymore. These, you know, kids now have what debit cards or I don't have a debit card, and I have to ask them all the time. Now, what is that again? They're like, Mom, it's my, like my twenty-four-year-old. She has a yeah. debit card. It's it's I don't I don't I really don't know. 
I still don't know what There's it is. There's like apps where you can apparently like drive up and they just like scan your phone. You don't even need a debit card anymore. You just need a phone. Yeah. Well, the other day Avery was sending my mom um, some money and so he had to write a check. Back to the check thing. <laughs> and he literally like it took him like three tries and he like just wrote things backwards. He didn't know how to write out the, you know, the number like you know, 1,000, blah, blah, blah. I just yeah. didn't, don't yeah. know how to do them. And I just feel like there's so much wasted time in those eight hours that just streamline it and yeah. just teach them the basics. And they need to start at 1030. Yes. Just start it, starting school at 830 is for the birds. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. 730. 730. 730 for you? 730 for me. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Actually, it's not, it's, it's eight. It's eight for Ava now, except on Mondays she gets to go at 830. So we think we... We're living large on Mondays. Yeah, you're winning for sure. Yeah, like why does Audrey need two years of French? She will never know how to speak French. In order to be fluent in French, she would have to move to France. Marry a Frenchman. Marry a Frenchman, um, eat French food, and also go to college and study French, and then probably get her master's degree in French, and she still might not be totally fluent in French. So why does she need two years of French? (laughs) To graduate high school. Yeah. I took Latin. It was way worse. Latin? Yeah. See? Yeah, it was stupid. We, you know what? I At my little school, I graduated with 10 people in my class, which is <laughs> about the number of people in this room. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have a foreign language. So. Yeah, we didn't have a football team. We had a very common sense school. We had an eight-man football. Really? Yeah. And at times, you know, when I got older... I was with, with John, you know, he loves football. And I was like, who are, oh, why do they have all so many players? And he's like, well, they have an offensive team and a defensive team. And I'm like, oh, my God, our poor high school boys just played the whole game. The whole game, both ways. They, they like, there was 12, like 12 of them, you know, and they, they were just like constantly I'm shocked that game. you had football. Like, I had right? 35 kids in my graduating class, but we didn't have a football team. Yeah. Just weren't enough. We hope you are enjoying our Country Mile podcast. Don't miss your all-access pass to country music news with the Tennesseans mobile app. Download the Tennessean app for free in the App Store or Google Play Store. This podcast is brought to you by the Tennessean, part of the USA Today Network in partnership with Belmont University, where students can study music and music business in the heart of Music City. Or they can choose from more than 95 other fields of study. To learn more, visit belmont.edu. Somebody pointed out to me earlier this week, they were like, you know, people see what happens on stage and they think that we just walk up there and start singing. It's like they don't see everything that goes into the day before that. They don't see the glam. They don't see, you know, the interviews we have to do or the radio stuff. Can you all talk about that? Like, because you talk about bringing your kids on the road, but even after you get them out there, you all have to work, had to work during the day too, right? Mm -hmm. Even before you even before you went out. And I think that's an important point. The actual quote was, you know, guys, all they need is hair gel and a T-shirt, and they're <laughs> ready to go. Like, it's not that way for yeah. women. Mm-hmm. Did you always have hair and makeup person? I never did. On the road? Oh, my God. I like doing my hair and makeup. It's That's kind of the way that I transition. Yeah, is it like For the show, yeah. For so, you? like, I still, you know, about an hour and a half before the show, you know, so we have also we have meet and greets. So our my day is kind of like four o'clock now. I but you're right, 
Back in the day, we had to go visit the local radio stations. So if there were two stations, you had to go visit both stations, sit and do interviews, pictures, all of that, and then come back, do sound check at four. While you're trying to get over your hangover. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. And and then, you know, have dinner and then take care of your kids and make sure they're fed and all of that and then get ready for the show. But anyway, so I, 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 that's my transition time. I, I'd like to do my own makeup and I put on, I do my warm ups and put on music and sing along. And you're great at it. Did you do your makeup the other day when I said, I love your eyeshadow? I did. Yeah. So pretty. Thank you. I sent her an Instagram. I was like, I love that eyeshadow. I can't remember who you said it was. It was Pat McGrath. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always had, um, my brother's wife, KK, Mm -hmm. And when Avery was a baby, it was the first time that I was able to have my own bus, and it was just this piece of crap bus, and it was uh, it looked like a log cabin, and so we we <laughs> called it the Naughty Pine Bus, and but naughty, you know, yeah, and so it's just me and Avery and KK and the nanny. That's who was on my bus. Um, my ex husband never traveled with me. I mean, ever, and so I always had to have a nanny. And I asked KK to just come out and start helping me. Like, can you just start helping me with, like, clothes and, you know, because it is a lot to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I going to wear? What, mm-hmm. you know? And so then it turned into her doing my hair and makeup and, and my wardrobe and, and for everything, you know, awards, all that. She just kind of learned. But we had a really hilarious learning curve and some major mistakes. <laughs> but um, so I've always had that but yeah it's like an hour and a half before the show I lay down and she does my hair and makeup and and I kind of fall asleep but and I do all my meet and greets after the shows I hate doing stuff before the show I don't like it either I hate it it really gets you jar it's jarring a little bit takes you out of your at the right headspace I think I agree I I mean I like meeting people don't get me wrong I do too but after the show yeah I like it because everything's like oh I'm done yeah tell us what you're working on right now what you're excited about well, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my next album, so I'm not making music right now. I'm trying to get inspired and figure it out. But uh, I'm I'm starting a podcast. Interestingly enough, um, it launches tomorrow. No, Friday. It's oh, called really? Vocal Point with Martina hey. McBride. It's on Luminary, and um, it's really been fun. I, I didn't know at first. I was like, I don't know. Oh, sure, I'll try it. And it's been so much fun. Just to, I had Sarah on my show, it's and it was great. And she's and great fun at it. Thank you. Yeah, you really are. I got to talk to Brenda Lee yesterday. We, I, talk, talk, I got to uh, interview Garth. And just, you know, Runaway June, who I, I, I'm getting to sit down with people who I haven't had the chance to spend any time with at all and just hear their story, and it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you yeah. told us a really fun story that Brenda Lee told you yesterday. Want to share it and tell people to, when they can find your podcast? Sure. What was it again? Uh, the Science Fair. Oh, yeah. Well, we were just talking about kids. Brenda Lee and I were talking about having kids in, in the business and, and what it was like for her. And she said she did tour a lot when the kids were little, but she, she, um, she has two daughters. And she just told me that she said she always wanted to meet Frank Sinatra. And she just idolized him. She thought he was the best. And she'd always wanted to meet him. And he finally came to town. And the night he came to town, she was, was her daughter's sixth, sixth grade science fair. And she said, so... Which do you think I chose? The science fair. So she went to the science fair instead of, of her daughters instead of meeting Frank Sinatra. Good mommy. So, yeah. Good mommy. 
So you set out on Friday. So do they come out one at a time, or are they all available at once? Like how they do come you out one at a time, and then they're you know once they're out, they're on the app for forever. But um, they'll come out one a week every Friday. That's awesome. Yeah. So who's fun. your first? Garth is the first one. Garth is the first. And we're kind of like still scheduling. You know, I'm still actually editing and putting them all together. We've got a couple finished, but um, Sarah's is great. I can't wait to get that one out there. We had so much fun. We started before it was like officially started. I told my engineer, Alan, uh, he was smart enough to hit the record button because we just sit down and start talking. And Mm -hmm. then I'm like, you know. And then they finally had to like kind of make me leave. Yeah. Because we just would have talked all day. It was fun. It was so fun. And you have a Christmas tour too, right? Oh, yeah. I guess I do have a Christmas tour. (laughs) Isn't it hard to, when people say, what do you have coming up or what are you working on? I can't remember. I know. I have a Christmas tour. Come, it starts the day after Thanksgiving. We're doing 14 shows between the day after Thanksgiving, whenever that is, and um, like December 21st. And Sarah has a Christmas tour coming out too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. We're going to um, rearrange it this year. So I'm making Olivia come out and sing harmony with me and Leslie and try to put in some really stressful, hard, yeah. intricate <laughs> harmony stuff to, you know, keep me up at night. But... Uh, and I'm getting ready to start a new record on October 1st, actually. And, but I can't really say what. It's kind of a specialty album, but I'm, I don't really want to say yet because I, you know how you don't, you think it's going to be one way, but then you go in and it, yeah. it kind of, yep. you just don't really know what it's going to be. So You also have a cool album out, the bar, what is it called? It's yeah, the Barker Family Band live at City Winery. It's great. Thank you. I love it. Thank and you. She, there's a lot of talking. You know, her stage talk, talking from the stage, and it's just really, it's really special. Thank so, you. Yeah. And then that's with your children. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's with Olivia and Avery and my brother and my sister, and then another guitar player and a drummer. And but we kind of did it real acoustic, and and it is fun. I mean, you know. I am talking a lot, and I love to hear live stuff like that. Yeah. yeah my favorite. One we, don't, of my favorite. we don't have live albums anymore. I know. Yeah. Do you have James Taylor's live? I don't. Oh, oh my God. It's it's the best album I think I've ever heard. Really? It's James Taylor Live. I will mm-hmm. get it. I'll send you the link. I keep sending her <laughs> stuff lately. Yeah, did you listen to Rustin Kelly? Yes, so great. I'm obsessed with him. Yeah. Ladies, thanks for coming by. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. This has been so fun. Next time we'll do it with Tito's. I think Tito's. we should. <laughs> yes. And White Monster. And White yeah. Monster. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Country Mile. This podcast series is produced by the USA Today Network's Erica Whitney and John Garcia. And I'm your host, Cindy Watts. Theme music from KillerTracks.com. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to rate and leave a review as well. For more in-depth coverage of country music, visit tennessean.com backslash countrymile.